All right, so God's had me hovering on Romans for a couple weeks, um, and we may continue on. I don't know if I'm going to go all the way through or not, but um, we'll just see what he does. But um, Paul is zealous. Let's just put it that way. If you look at Paul before his conversion, he was a little zealous. You read in Acts, and who is the guy co-signing and holding the robes for Stephen's stoning? It is Saul before he was his conversion. He's, he's saying, yes, you can stone this guy. He's holding the, here, let me hold your coat while you stone this guy and kill him. I mean, that's pretty extreme. You know, he wasn't like, hey, you know, yeah, let's do it. I'll do it myself since I'm, you know, in charge. Paul was, was given charged by the um, by the religious rulers of that day to go and hunt down Christians, the, the people that followed Jesus. And so Paul does a good job of that. He's an excellent, you know, mass murderer, you know, guy who imprisons people. And he's very, very good at what he does. But God comes to him along the road to Damascus and says, hey, why are you persecuting me? I mean, if God shows up in a, in a physical way to you, in a blinding light, you know something is happening. Either we are off track or he is leading us back to where we need to go. So Paul gets a, uh, Saul gets a conversion. He's blinded. He goes to, I can't remember the dude's house right now, but he, he stays a, a time until the disi- a disciple comes and lays hands on him and the, the scales fall off of his eyes and he now has a revelation of Jesus Christ, but that revelation continues to grow. So in Romans 2, Paul says this, and this is, this is not, the first couple chapters of Romans are not the most lighthearted, fluffy, you know, shoulder massage kind of encouragement that we need sometimes. These are very to the point, blunt um, letters and comments to the church. You know, he is writing to the church in Rome and he says this, he says, therefore, you have no excuse when you start out a letter like that, you know it's going to be a rough day. You have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges, <coughs> excuse me, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you judge the practice and practice the very same things. That is his opening line to the church in Rome. Think about this. Somebody calls you up, or, uh, a church leader in your life, Sarah calls you up and says, you have no excuse. That's a tough pill to swallow. Think about it, though. He is, he is not. Paul doesn't do things because it's kind or nice. He does it for the sake of their souls. He doesn't do it because he wants to write them a fluffy letter and say, oh, we, we, I love you and I'm praying for you. Yes, he's, he's, they know that. But what he's doing is he's saying, hey, we got some issues to figure out. We got some issues that you need to take care of. So verse 2, it says, We know that, that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? Because you... This is a tough one. Because of your hard and impetuant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath 
when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Think about this. He says, when you start to judge people, okay, you ever gone, okay, we've all done this. We've been somewhere and we get in the car, we're heading home. We're like, I'm just so glad we're not like that family or our kids aren't like that. We're, no, come on, you're all laughing because you've done it. You're like, oh, I'm just so glad we're not like that because we've done that. Yes, what we're doing there is judgment. We're like, oh, I'm just so glad we're not like that or our kids are not that bad or our kids are whatever. That is judgment. And God says, when you judge like that, judgment is given back to you. And that's the scary thing. That is a, a, a harsh thing that people are like, well, God loves me. Yes, he loves you. But when judgment is given, to, given, judgment comes back to you. And without repentance, it just keeps piling on and piling on. But we've all been in th- those areas. Well, oh, yeah, at least we're not as bad as this, or at least I didn't do this. Right? None of you are like, yeah, nah, okay. Yeah, we've all done that. We, we've all been there. we like, well, at least we didn't do this. At least we didn't do that. But Paul says, you're passing judgment and you condemn yourself because you do the exact same thing they do. Paul warned us. He's warning us, don't judge each other. Our judgment towards others will put ourselves in a place of God's judgment being poured out on us. And people don't want to hear that these days. They want to hear about the love of God and the, the kindness that leads us to repentance part of it. And that's the that's that's the the shining part of that first five verses that it feels good to hear. But he, he says there's, there's a pretext to that. His kindness leads us to repentance. It's because what we've done in the past, yes, it is under the blood of Jesus, but if we continue to live in that, we start to occur the wrath of God. And a lot of people don't want to talk about that. A lot of, a lot of people don't want to hear that. But God's judgment can be poured out on us. We, we, talk, we look through the Old Testament and we see different um, times in the Old Testament where the children of Israel, they, they turn from God, they worship idols and, and whatever. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talk, they t- worshiped crawling things and graven images. And then they turn back to God and, God's judge, and God pours judgment out on them. And then they turn back to God and they repent and God deals with them and they continue on for a season and for a generation, and then the next generation turns right back to it. How wicked is the heart of men that we turn back to it, the next generation? And Paul is trying to say, hey, this is what you're doing. You keep going back into the same thing. You keep doing what you talk about you aren't going to do or what you shouldn't be doing, but you do the same thing. Verse 6 of chapter 2 says this, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who, by patience and well-doing, seek the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Again, this is not a light-hearted, feel-good chapter. He says, in well-doing and seeking the glory of God, you will receive eternal life. But when we become self-seeking and obey unrighteousness, that means we live and choose to live in sin, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does, who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But, but the glory and honor and the peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. 
We like to use, for the love of God, his kindness leads us to repentance, and God shows us no partiality. We like to pick those two verses out of, out of the first chapter and use those because they make us feel really good about ourselves. But Paul is telling us, pay attention to what you do daily in the rest of the verses. Pay attention to our, the way we talk and the way we act. Pay attention to what you say when you are going through a situation and you're like, well, I'm, at least I'm not this. And we start to put judgment. We are, the human being is so quickly to judge another human being. Well, at least I didn't do this. At least I didn't say this. At least I didn't do this. At least I wasn't this. And what happens is, is then we start to build ourselves in a little idol, a little platform where we step up on and we build ourselves up and we build ourselves up. But Paul says this is false. This is where wrath and judgment are going to be poured out. That, that wrath and that, that fury are going to be poured out every time we start to judge and we start to build ourselves up on our own little platform. Verse 12 says, if one lives with the knowledge of the law, the teachings of the, the Torah, he will sin and die apart from the law. Excuse me, if he lives without the knowledge, I'm sorry. If someone else lives under the law, he will sin and will be judged by what the law teaches. In verse 13, he says this, and this is in the um, voice translation. It says, here's my point. Just because a person hears the law, read or recited it, does not mean he is right before a true God. It is following the law that makes one right, not just hearing it. And that's the problem, is we like to go to church, we like to talk about how we love God, but then we go home and we talk about our neighbor. I don't talk about you, John. All I say is I love you. Yeah. We talk about our neighbor a lot, so talk to our neighbor more than we talk about him, but... Um, yeah, we talk to them. What Paul is saying is, is just because you can quote scripture or talk about it all the time does not make us right before God. And that's hard to hear because people love to go to church and sit in church and say their amens and throw their money in the tithe bucket and shake a couple hands if they feel like it and go home and make them feel good about themselves. Well, I, I had a coworker who will remain nameless um, that said, sometimes I go to church and I just feel uncomfortable. I don't really like the message because it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, that's the point. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, we're not supposed to be comfortable in our walk with Jesus Christ. Our, our walk with Jesus, it, it, he says from the beginning, narrow path, it's hard, wide path, it's easy. It's never going to be easy to walk with Jesus. It will get easier as we mature in certain areas that we learn to rely on him. But when we do it on our own strength, our own will, our own emotions, it doesn't end up well for us. So what happens is, we build our own little spiritual platform of how good we are, and we don't do this because our kids are better than theirs and our marriage is better than theirs, and we build ourselves a platform, but that platform is an altar that God is going to pour wrath and fury out on us if we continue to live like that. Sorry, I'm just... It's true. The great thing about God is he doesn't care about your opinion. 
Because if he cared about your opinion, opinion, his word would adjust every week to what your opinion and what you felt like was, and it doesn't. His word remains the same. And the, the difference between living, with him, living for him or knowing of him is living with him is we adjust our lives to fit his word, not uh, adjust his word to fit our lives. Too many people want to say, well, you know, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Yes, but God is angry about certain things. Sin makes him angry. And we, we always want to talk about, oh, his ever, you know, the love of God, it chases me down into the 99. And when, what happens when you lose a child in the store and you have to chase them down? What happens? Do you be like, oh, it's okay, come here. Just, I love you. No, there is some wrath that is poured out on that child. Like, where were you? You do it again, you're losing a foot. You know, I mean, <laughs> no, just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't take your kid's feet. But there's some wrath poured out on your child and anger poured out on your child because they ran away from you. And when you find them, it's not, oh, you love them, you seek them out because you love them, but you correct them. And what the Word of God does, it's supposed to correct our lives. If you can read the Word of God and don't feel a little bit bad about your actions, you're probably not reading the Word of God. If you can take in the first five verses of that passage and say, oh, there's some things I need to adjust in my life. If you cannot do that, you need to check your heart and you need to check your relationship with Jesus Christ to see if you have a relationship with him. But for us as, as believers, we need to say, God, create in me a new heart, create in me a, a, a tender heart so that way when I'm starting to do these things, I become sensitive to your Holy Spirit so you can tell me, hey, you need to stop that now. What do you do? Anybody? Okay, by a show of hands, parents, anybody do the snap? You just, you don't have to be anywhere. Your kids are behaving, you're in the store, you just snap and they're like, they just know that snap. That's like, that's the early crack. Uh, you know, for me, it was the early crack of the belt. I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, you're waiting for it as a kid. But that snap, those kids know. And you just, you snap at them and they, you don't even have to say anything. You just snap and they look and you just look at them and you're like, you know what's coming. And, and they know and they stop. But sometimes God does that to us and we become intolerant and unwilling to hear what he has to say. We hear that snap and we're like. <laughs> we, we, we do the little, like, I pretend, I'm going to pretend. I'm going to kind of look at him, but I'm not going to look at him. And I'm going to kind of pretend I didn't hear it, but I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. And Paul is talking to us and telling us, hey, there's some things that you do that need to change. Just because we go to church does not make us right before God. Sitting in a chair listening to music and hearing someone preach does not make us right with God. Fortunately, we don't live inside of the law anymore. We live within grace because Jesus fulfilled the law so we have the love of Christ that we can have a personal relationship with him but Paul is telling these people just because you follow the law doesn't make you right verse 14 says this for instance some outsiders who are not required to follow the law often live quite naturally by its teachings even though the law wasn't given to them in themselves they have the law here's the thing their lives demonstrate the, that God has inscribed the law and the teachings on their heart on Judgment Day. Their consequences will, consequences 
I can't, I can't read apparently today. Consciences, thank you, Mercy, will testify for them, and their thoughts will be both accuse and defend them. This good news given to me declares that affirmation and ac accusation will take place on that day when God, through Jesus, the anointed one, judges every person's life secret. Paul is talking about the judgment of God, and that's a hard thing to hear. Because in our, cult, in our modern church culture, we, we've kind of gone away from talking about sin and judgment. And when we, we like to talk about feeling good and singing good songs and talking about the scriptures, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we talk about the good things that we want to hear. But what did, what did God call the children of Israel um, hard-hearted and stiff-necked? He said, you're hard-hearted and stiff-necked. You, you refuse to listen to what I have to say, and you refuse to turn your, neck, your face towards me. And in our, in our culture today, we, we've taken Christianity, when we pick and choose what we want out of it, instead of listening to what the Scripture says and living by it. Trust me, it gets better. Here we go. Verse 17 says, listen, if you claim to be a Jew, count on the law and boast in your relationship with God. If you know his will and can determine what is essential because you have been instructed in the law, and if you stand convicted, or, wow, I cannot read today. That's a big word for me. Convinced, there we go, wow, that you are chosen to be a guide to the blind, a light to those who live in darkness, a teacher of the foolish, wanderers and children, and have in the law what is essentially the form of knowledge and truth, then tell me why you don't practice what you preach. Paul saying, hey, you said you're this, you claim to be this, you claim to be a, a leader to the blind, a person to lead you know, people into the knowledge and truth. He says, then why don't you practice what you preach? We're all guilty of that. We, we say one thing, and then we go home and say the other thing. We go to work and do one thing, and we do the other at home. We're out in public, we say one thing. You know, you know I, I was, my wife and I were talking about this a couple months ago, and, and we're like, it is incredible how many Christian women will go to seances as a group of Christian women. And I'm like, wait a minute. Or they'll go to like a that crazy blonde-haired psychic lady on TV. They'll go to one of her meetings, and I'm like, why on earth would you, as a Christian, look at that and say, oh yeah, this is normal. This is not normal. There's a difference between being a psychic who is going on TV and saying, oh, you pay money to get a word from them, and prophecy, which is God-given word, for them, for free, because God loves you. God's not going to charge you to hear from him. Yes, it is a counterfeit. So Paul says, why don't you practice what you preach? If you're going to sermonize against stealing, then stop stealing. If you're going to teach others not to commit adultery, then complete, be completely faithful to your spouse. If you hate idolatry, then stop robbing the temples. Okay, so the Roman church was a little messed up, I'm just saying. <laughs> they didn't have, probably needed a little change in leadership, some maturity in leadership, because they were 
struggling. But if you look at all the, the letters Paul's writing, he's wrote to churches that are infantile. They are 10 years at the most, probably a lot of these. And then he says in verse 23, he says, if you pride yourself in having God's law, then stop dishonoring God by failing to keep his teachings. Here's what it says. Because of you, God's reputation is slandered by the, uh, who, those who are outside of his covenant. And I like it in this translation. I'm going to read this to you real quick. If I can find it. It says, stop dishonoring God by failing to keep his teaching. Here's what is said. Because of you, God's reputation is slandered by those outside of his covenant. And I like what it says there, but read, I want you to hear this. And I want, this is going to be a little more intense. Um, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Think about that. We represent, as a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian and you talk to people in public and you claim to be a Christian, what do we represent as we live that life? Are we living a life that, you know, we walk into church and we're around church people, we do the church thing, and when we're around the, the work friends, we do the work thing, and then we're around our regular friends, we do the friend thing, and then your friends are like, hey, you want to come out? No, I got to go to church tomorrow. And they're like, you go to church? And you're like, yeah, I go to church. Because Paul is saying, hey, it's either live the lifestyle and follow Jesus or don't live the lifestyle. Do what you want to do or follow God. But that's a hard thing. He says, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. He's telling the Jews that, hey, you, the way you're acting, the way that you live is making the name of God a joke. People use it as a joke and just make fun of it. So my question to you is, is how do we, all of us, live a lifestyle that is pleasing to God so when we talk about God, people don't make fun of God because they look at our lives? You don't have to all answer at once. <laughs> Just saying. But is God's reputation being run through the mud? Is it being slandered because of our lives? I could say yes, because there's things in my life that I've done wrong that people are probably like, oh, you're a Christian? Yes. I think every one of us have had those moments, had those times in our life they say yeah i probably messed up i didn't do this right even if we thought we were doing it right we didn't realize what we were doing at the moment sometimes it's a mistake sometimes it's a a chosen action but other times it's like we need to adjust our life to fit what god says that's why he says hey if you stay don't steal then stop stealing if you say don't commit adultery then stop committing adultery and if he says hey you know we love God's law. Quit dishonoring by robbing the temple. Do you know what he, he's saying by that? He's basically meaning, why are you taking what it becomes? So gifts that are given to the temple, he's like, quit stealing what people have given to the temple. Quit 
teaching, telling people, oh, it's okay, we're going to use it for this, or we use it for this. We look at Eli and his sons. They were using everything from the temple for their own personal use, their own personal gain. And that's what Paul's basically saying. Quit using what is given to God for your own personal use. Quit stealing from God. So, we're going to get into this, and this is going to be fun. So, Abraham, Genesis 17, 18, he goes to God, and he makes a covenant with God. And God says, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. And in verse 24, says Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and what did God tell him God told him go today and circumcise everybody in your house can you imagine he comes back from the wilderness and he's like oh by the way hey and just to let you know in that time they really didn't have pocket knives like this they were using more crude instruments and he comes home and says, oh, by, by the way, this is what's going to happen today. All your servants, all, your, all, all their kids. Can you imagine walking in the door? He, your boss walks in the door and goes, hey, by the way, um, you got something special going on today. And you're like, what's up? What's going on at work today? Well, we're going to have a circumcision. Um, excuse me, what? Oh, I'm feeling sick. I got to go home today. But God commanded Abraham to do that and he obeyed that is that is some strong obedience to the will of God I'm just saying we're all like God's like you need to I need you to go talk to that person I don't know God if I can do that I don't know you know and and God asked Abraham to circumcise himself and everybody else in his his family and of his servants that conversation like you sure it was God you're like, are we, are we sure? I need to tell you one thing. I need to tell you one thing. You know, it's like, you're like, no, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul says this in verse 25. He says, you see, circumcision is of value only if you keep the law's teachings. But if you keep breaking God's rules, you are no different than those without the mark. So if an uncircumcised man abides in God's precepts, doesn't that make his standing before God the same as one who is circumcised? The man who, who is physically uncircumcised but still keeps the law, he will stand in judgment over the person who is circumcised but yet continually breaks God's law. That's what Paul is trying to tell them. It says your circumcision means nothing if you continue to sin. Just because you carry the mark, he says it doesn't matter because you continually to live a lifestyle outside of what the law teaches. And this is countercultural to what was being taught in the church, in the synagogues of that day. They're like, if you're circumcised and you live under God, you confess and you, you know, move along and you're, you're okay with God. And Paul's like, no, it doesn't matter if you are or not. It's what you do that ha has to deal with it. All right. Verse 28. A mark that is evident doesn't necessarily make one a Jew. And the circumcision... That is evidently only in the flesh is not true. But the true Jew, listen to this, but the true Jew 
is Jewish on the inside in a secret place, but no one that, but God can see. He's saying it doesn't matter. He's, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about our relationship with God. He's saying it doesn't matter about the circumcision. It, the true Jew, the one who is truly following God, is the one who follows God when people don't see him. It says, in the secret place, no one but God can see. Paul's saying it's not our flesh that makes us right with God. It's not the, the, the mark that makes us right with God and you, you living how you want. He's saying it's in our hearts. And he says the true circumcision involves the heart. It comes from the spirit, not from some written code. The praise and the reputation of that kind of Jew come from God, not from man. He's saying it's not about circumcision, it's about the heart. It's about the heart being prepared for God and serving God. It's about that what happens in the secret place when no one else sees, and he sees our heart. what he's looking for he's not looking for the mark he's looking for repentance he's not looking for whether you're jewish or gentile he's looking for what is in the secret place of your heart that no one else sees paul's telling them you're dishonoring god by every all these actions that you claim to be jewish by but you do all these things it's okay i'm jewish i've, I've been circumcised i'm right with god he's like nope wrong doesn't work that way anymore the law, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and when he did, the veil was torn. The, the relationship between God and man no longer needed one intermediate, or intermediate, there we go, mediator. I got it, I was getting mixed up with words there. Didn't need a mediator, one person to go into the, behind the veil and to deal with God for us and be like, oh yeah, you're right with God now. And Paul's also saying you don't need the circumcision to be right with God. He's saying, by the way, even if you're circumcised and you act like an idiot, you're still not right with God. So for us, we have a greater revelation of what they even had of who Jesus is and who God is. But what happens is we still do the same thing. We become hard-hearted and stiff-necked. Every time God asks us to do something, even if it's simple, like, I don't know if I really want to do that. I'll do it on my timing. You ever been told by God, just stop immediately? Like, he just says, you need to stop. Like, you've had conviction about it, and you just keep kind of going along with it, and then God just says, he snaps you, like, oh. People always like to talk about a loving God, and he is a loving God. But what they don't want to talk about is that God corrects, and he disciplines. If you do not correct your child and you do not discipline your child, you will have a feral child. You will have a child that doesn't know how to interact with society. They will do whatever they want. They will hit, they will punch, they'll bite. They'll do whatever they want to get what they want. But when you correct them and show them the proper way and you lead them in that, they will learn the proper way. And Paul's saying you need to learn the proper way and the proper way is to 
submit your life to him, stop doing what you think you should do, what the law has told you to do. And he's, he's not saying the law is bad. He's just saying, hey, the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some of the things in the law are not bad. I'm not, everybody's like, oh, the law was just horrible. No, it wasn't. The law was there because there was some good things in the law, but man made up 600 plus rules to be able to control how they wanted to relate to God. They wanted to be able to go to God and, well, I did this, God, so I'm okay. You know, it's, it's funny because when Jesus was dealing with the woman caught with adultery, he, he kneeled down and started writing in the sand, and he said, those who are without sin cast the first stone. And this is the same thing. Paul's saying, hey, if you say don't steal, then live a life that doesn't steal. And if you say don't commit adultery, then be completely faithful to your spouse. And he says, hey, if, you know, you pride yourself in, you know, oh, I hate idol uh, idolatry and, and idol worship's bad. He says, then stop stealing from the temple. What he's talking about is this, is we place idols in our own mind, in our own spirit, in our own lives that tend to outweigh what God has to say a lot of times because we're too afraid to say or listen to what God has to say. God... Has God ever told you something and he says, I need you to tell this person and you're afraid to say it? You place your feelings on a shelf that is higher than God's sovereignty. He understands we're human. He created us. He, he understands our faults, our failures, how we're going to be. But what happens is, is he expects us, if we, if we surrender our lives to him, that means that he is no, or excuse me, we are no longer in charge, that he is in charge. And when he asks us to do something, he doesn't ask us as a, um, a could you maybe? He asks us as not just a brother, uh, not a brother, he asks us as our Savior, our King, and our Lord. When he gives us that, he's not just coming up, hey, you know, it'd be kind of cool, you know, maybe if you did this. He's not giving us advice. He's giving us a, a, a directive to do something. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, this is God speaking. He says, quit doing what you think is okay because you're circumcised and live a life that is pure. Because our lives can make God look stupid and become slandered. Our lifestyle can create God's reputation with other people. But Paul says, true circumcision is of the heart. Our hearts have to be good soil, have to be good places for God to inhabit. If we do not make our lives a good place for him to inhabit, what happens is he gets to visit every now and then when we want him to visit, when we need him to visit, but it doesn't become a lifestyle of listening to him and following him. The secret place where no one but God can see, and true circumcision is of the heart. It comes from the Spirit, is not a written co code. The praise and the reputation of that kind of Jew come from God, not man. He's saying it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, Gentile, whatever it is. He's saying it, your heart is what should become 
open to him, cut to him. But we spend more time trying to justify why we do what we do in order to convince God it's okay. And he's like, it's not okay. The heading over Romans 2 is God's righteous judgment. Righteousness can only come from Christ Jesus. God's judgment is not a a judgment of wrath and I'm angry with you and I don't like you. It's 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 judgment because we are unholy. By ourselves, we are unholy. Our lives by ourselves, we cannot become we cannot become right with God by ourselves. No matter what we do, no matter how many times we try to do good things, well, I helped out. You know, think about this. If we said, you know, that kid we helped out with a phone, oh, well, God, I did this. And I, I, if we brought that to heaven and said, God, well, I helped the kid buy a phone. He's going to look at us and go, yeah. It, think about this. In the weight of sin and righteousness, buying somebody a phone doesn't do anything that us buying him a phone was to get him into a right relationship with jesus christ if it happens through us great if it doesn't but i want it we wanted it to be a catalyst for his heart to become close to jesus for him to give his life to jesus and what paul's talking about is our righteousness is only through christ jesus no matter what we do, no matter, it's all worthless in the, ga- in the long run if we do not have a relationship with Christ Jesus. If we are not following Christ, if we are not submitted ourselves to him, what we do means nothing. And that's why Paul is talking about them. He says, you, you're all you're like, oh, I'm circumcised. I can, I'm a Jew. I can do whatever I want. No, we cannot. Paul, Paul talks about it in later letters in Romans. He says, do we keep on sinning? And lessen or cheapen the, gra- the grace of God? It says, by no means. So when ca- Christ calls you, he calls you to stop sinning. Will we always stop sinning? No. We will have our human nature forever. Will we be aware of our sin on a greater level? Yes. And that's where our heart has to be not stiff-necked and not hard-hearted. And we have to say, you know, yes, I screwed up. I messed up. I, I sinned. I need to repent. And that's where Paul's talking about is the circumcision of the heart is where our heart becomes aware of who God is, becomes a place where God can move and can work. And we be, we're not stiff-necked and hard-hearted like the children of Israel were. So what happens with God is, is this. The more we... we the more we sin, the more he tries to come after us and say, hey, I love you, repent. But the more we sin, we talked about this in Romans 1, he, and we become stiff-necked, hard-hearted, he gives us over to it. If you look at um, a lot of, in Romans 1, he gave them over to the destruction of their flesh. He gave them over to their sin. So our sin at a certain point where we're just like, yeah, I, I understand God, but we become so unrepentant of it. He's like, okay, fine, you go into that. I'm going to give you to that. You, you want to live that life, you live that life. But God is always there right in the outskirts saying, I'm here. There's righteousness here. There's, there's right relationship here. 
And that's where he lives even when we're in sin. He's like, okay, I'm not going to go into sin with you because I am righteous, but I'm going to live right here. I'm going to stay right here. So when you need me and you want to choose to live a right life, you want to choose to have a life that is given to me, not just, oh, well, I, yeah, I like God on the weekends, but in the week I don't really like God. No. As long as I can go drinking on Friday and Saturday night and make it out for church, I'm, that's, no. He's like, no, that's not how we live. He's looking for a life that is submitted to him. Not just, oh, well, I feel good on, when I go to church on Sunday, and it makes me feel good when I go to church. If church makes you feel good every time you go to church, you're going to the wrong church. Church is not, the body of Christ is not meant to make us feel good. It is meant to build us up and encourage us where, is where we find, you know, sometimes it's correction. Sometimes it's, it's, um, it's prophetic words, whatever it is. God brings us into a body for us to grow. And for us to grow doesn't mean we stay in the same sin for our entire life or keep sinning. But his kindness is what leads us to repentance. That's the verse we all want to hear. Oh, it's his kindness. God is so kind. Yes, he is. Because he is righteous, he is kind. Because he is without sin, he can give us righteousness. And so when we look at our lives, we have to say, am I living in the light of Christ in his righteousness? Or am I just living how I want to live and then I go to church to make myself feel bad and I repent then and then go do, live how I want, and then I come back on Sunday or Saturday night before I go to church because I'd feel bad if I didn't repent for my sin and go to church, and then I go to church. The great thing is, is we don't need one person to come to. You don't have to come to Sarah and I said, oh, I sinned, and can you ask God to forgive me? No, we have the ability to have that instant communication with God and say, hey, I, I did something stupid. I sinned. We have the instant ability to snap, and God says, what? What's up? You're like, this is what it is. He says, okay, let's deal with this. God is not a harsh God. He is not a angry God, but he is a righteous God, and unrighteousness cannot be in the same place as God. That is our hope. Christ Jesus, who took away the sins of the world, is our hope, and he is the one that makes us right, makes us pure and holy before the sight of God. And we can rejoice in that. We can, we can be circumcised in the heart and have that right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he's looking for people who want him, not people he's going to force. God doesn't force you to have that relationship with him. He's looking for people who want to have that relationship with him. He's like, I make it easy. He's like, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's like, I just want to have a relationship with you, but do you want to have a relationship with me? And that's what we have to assess. Sometimes we go through life and it's like, we have those doubts. We have, the, oh God, well, if you're good, you know, you have those conversations with God because you're struggling with something. And he's like, I'm still here. I'm still good. I'm still the one that's going to take care of you when you put your trust in him. So we have no excuse. As Christians, we know what the word of God says. We have no excuse. So for us, if we have no excuse, we know we're sinning. Paul 
Paul says in, in, in verse 1, it says, you have no excuse if your eyes shift their focus to yourself. Our eyes have to be fo focused and fixed on Jesus Christ. When we are fixed on Jesus Christ, we find an easier way through life. We'll have trouble, we'll have trials, but we will get through life in an easier way because we focused on him, we fixed our eyes on him. Because as Paul says, I fix my eyes on the prize and I keep running towards it. We follow as, Jesus, as Paul followed Jesus. So when we look at life, we have to say, I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on him no matter what it is, no matter the storms, no matter what life is happening, what is not happening in life, how I want it to be, how it should be, how I think it should be. I fix my eyes on Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he leads us into victory. Let's pray.